This is Famous and Gravy, a podcast about quality of life as we see it, one dead celebrity at a time. This person died in 2020, age 77. He was born in Greensboro and played college basketball at Johnson C. Smith University in Charlotte, where he averaged 23 points per game. Lou Gossett Jr. <laughs> Boy, what a great guess. No, not Louis Gossett Jr. of Iron Eagle fan. In 2008, his number 22 jersey was retired in a ceremony at Madison Square Garden, an honor bestowed upon only four other players in team's history. You know, I'm still drawing a blank. I, you think I would know the Knicks a little bit better than this. Everybody who I think is still alive. Walt Frazier. <laughs> Not Walt Frazier. <laughs> All right. He began shaving his head at age 12, long before he got his nickname. He got his nickname for a bald head? <laughs> um, number 22. No, There's no egghead basketball players, is there? There's no... Um, <laughs> This is such a... This is too much fun. He's not Curly from the Harlem Globetrotters. First and last name, please. Curly Neal. Ah! (laughs) Today's dead celebrity is Curly Neal. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you got that. Nicely done, sir. Nineteen sixty-three to nineteen eighty-five, six thousand games. Yes. Ninety-seven countries. As you look back, you just go, "Whoa, what a ride!" Nice ride. <laughs> nice ride. It was fun, enjoyment, happiness. You know, anytime we can take a couple hours out and entertain fans throughout the world, that's what the Globetrotters is all about. We bring harmony and joy and love. What's it like being an icon? I've been blessed, so I just try to give it back to the young guys of the generation here for the Globetrotters and the the fans all over the world. Welcome to Famous and Great. I'm Michael Osborne. And I am Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question. Would I want that life? Today, Fred Hurley Neal. Died 2020, age 77. Category one, grading the first line of their obituary. Fred Hurley Neal, whose dribbling wizardry made him one of the most well-known members of the beloved Harlem Globetrotters traveling basketball team, died on Thursday at his home near Houston. He was 77. I like wizardry. Wizardry is great. Yeah, that's pretty nice when applied to a sport. Yeah. It has a connotation of magic. You yes. Know, dazzling. Like, how is it possible? Almost otherworldly. What else do you think about this? I like beloved. Love beloved. It is a beloved team. Doesn't say a whole lot more. Points to his dribbling wizardry, right? Not his basketball wizardry. But dribbling seems to be the thing that everyone kind of remembers him for on the Globetrotters and beyond. How do you feel about them describing the whole team as beloved rather than a beloved member of a beloved team, you know? Yeah, I did pick up on that. I guess I would rather, if if this obituary is about him, yeah. I would rather they just call him beloved rather than saying he's a member of a beloved team. I'm not sure I agree with that. This may get into something we talk about later, but I think it is the whole team that I love. There's these charismatic characters on the Harlem Globetrotters, but individually, 
none of them is, you know, such a standout. They're all kind of of equal stature. So I kind of like that they're saying the beloved team. Yeah, I kind of disagree with that, I think. Mm. Because I think he in particular is at a higher level of being beloved than the team overall. Like other Globetrotters could have died within this period, but there is a reason we did him because he was one of the most beloved. Yeah. As was Meadowlark, but we just chose Curly Neal. All right. So what's your score? Seven. Two three-pointers and a free throw. (laughs) I think I'm going nine. Nine. I think so. I don't know that this is missing anything. It's got the nickname in quotes, which I really like. Wizardry is a great word. There's not that much more to know. And I do feel like the more we talk about it, the more I'm happy with the word beloved describing the team. Because I think what it does is it's got a nostalgia feel. It's got like a throwback, like once upon a time. I mean, I know the Globetrotters are still around, but you know they, they kind of peaked around the time that Curly Neal peaked. I mean, so that's why I'm sort of okay with the brevity of it. I'm glad it made it to the New York Times to begin with. You know? Oh, there's no question. Oh, I think there is. This is arguably the least famous, famous person we've done on Famous and Gravy. I don't even think it's arguable. I think it is the least famous person we have done in Famous and Gravy. And yet famous enough to have a New York Times obituary. That was not obvious to me. And therefore, I'm not holding the New York Times obituary to a higher standard. I don't need a whole lot of parentheticals and clauses. And, you know, I don't need them to throw their full arsenal of the the dictionary at this obituary to get it right. This one's right to me. So there's an accuracy and a sort of how challenging it was. So I'm giving it a nine. This is true. And I want to say something to our listeners. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and get and tell who I think are other two least famous um, subjects were. Mm. And to me, that's probably Mean Gene Okerlund mm-hmm. and John Prine. Uh, I've heard from a lot of listeners that those two are some of their favorite episodes. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Um, talking about quality of life of somebody that sits on that very low niche category of fame is an interesting thing to explore. Well, here's the other thing. I fucking love the Globetrotters, right? You don't have to see them that much to be kind of like I said, dazzled. I love them a lot more learning about the history in the lead up to this episode. I had no idea. Totally. It's a little pocket of American culture, like worth examining and worth knowing more about. Well, let's get into it then. Okay. Next category, category two, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I work together to come up with five reasons why we should be talking about this person, why they might have some things that are beloved. Yes, do you? <laughs> <laughs> five five beloved things about five you? Is that what we're renaming the yeah, category? I think, so. five be- I think that's a good idea. Five beloved things. Okay. Do you care to start or do you want me to go? I want you to go. You go first. Okay. Infectious smile. That's what I had as number one. Did you? The yeah. Words, I, I didn't use the word infectious. I just wrote great smile. That word infectious was used over and over again to describe it. And it's so true. When you watch the tape. And throughout his life, like the younger Curly Neal, the older Curly Neal, like this man makes you want to smile. And, and, and smiles easily, and it's great. That's what they say. He was the type of guy that you enter a room with him, and you just want to smile. You feel like he wants to thank you for being there. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that may just be one of the best things to have to walk through life with is an infectious smile. Just sheerly being present, other people want to smile. Yeah. I mean, you are a drug, 
at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. No, I mean, there, you're, there, there's a. It's not just life of the party. It's also like exuding a kind of positive energy that you know lifts everybody up. Because I do think that life is funnier, and that you are more prone to smile if you're looking for it. And if you are, you know, have the right attitude about the moment or about the day or whatever. So being around a personality like that, that the word infectious, I really like the use of the word infectious here. Uh, what's your take on infectious smiles, nature or nurture? This actually bleeds into my second thing I love about him. Can I go right to it? Yep. Okay. Thing number two, this quote that's in his obituary, I didn't know anything about being funny. I, it's it's related to the great smile. He learned to be Funny. He learned, like, I mean, he set out in life as a basketball player. He was great in high school, was great in college, thought about playing in the NBA. Uh, I mean, he was drafted by four NBA teams and, and chose to go up. to the Globetrotters instead. Correct. For reasons that I got to say were a little bit confusing to me that I didn't quite understand because it, it was a financial consideration that led him to the Globetrotters, I think. Anyway, like that he was great at basketball and then had this, I got to be funny while I'm doing basketball too? And that he learned that. And I think it came very easily to him. I think it's related to the smile, but I like the idea that, you know, there's this sort of add-on talent to something you're already good at. So you have these two qualities. Like he can say, I had to learn to be funny, but it was just there waiting to boil up. Right. Like it was, it was old faithful before the explosion. But I feel like we should probably talk a little bit more about Harlem Globetrotter humor. What is it besides the dazzling basketball wizardry that makes a Harlem Globetrotters game funny? The unexpected. Okay. Totally. Have you been to a Globetrotters game? Not since I was probably eight. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people listening to this show. Yeah. It's not just a basketball game with a bunch of tricks. It's a lot of audience interaction. It's pausing the game because somebody has to go to the bathroom. Right. You know, it's running up to the third row in the bleacher seats and asking someone for a glass of water yeah. in the middle of the game. It's doing these really bizarre, unexpected things. Breaking the fourth wall. But I mean, I guess, Continuously. This, is, I guess this is my point about what I love is that there is like humor and sport. That is so unique. Like, I don't, I can't think of anywhere else where that exists. The Harlem Globetrotters somehow like got both athletic, you know, excellence combined with like timing and comedy. Even if the humor is a little silly, it works. Yeah. You know, my memory of the show and watching these old clips, like it's a blast. You're right. I don't think it exists with athletic excellence. Yeah. Right. It exists in certain like parroting forms of sport. Uh, wrestling is funny. And- I mean, professional wrestling actually is a good thing to point to in terms of like overall performance that we're putting together. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good nearest neighbor, a good comparison. Let's do number three. Number three, he was a proud second fiddler. Throughout his entire career, which I believe was 1963 to 1985. Correct. On the Globetrotters, he was never the biggest star on the team because he had to accompany either Meadowlark Lemon or Marcus Gaines. Yes. Who were just bigger stars. Yeah. But he played the number two seat proudly with grace and never seemed to really vie for that number one spotlight. Screen. Yeah. But he was always the Scottie Pippen to Michael Jordan. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Tell me more about why that's a thing you love. It is speaks to being satisfied. It mm. speaks to being content. It speaks to being 
grateful and disciplined and not greedy. It's being happy with where you reached. Because I think reaching heights, success, once you get a little bit of it, it's an addiction. I think I agree with that, too. There's a humility. Yeah. They say it's about the Olympics, that in measuring happiness amongst medal winners, the silvers are always the least happy. Yeah. Because sometimes they were this close. Yeah. But the bronze is like, I got to be on the pedestal. Yeah. I made it to the pedestal. It's as good as I need to do. The The silver feels like I just missed out on the gold. Yeah. But the bronze is happy to be there. But if you can just be happy with counting your lucky stars that you got a silver, yeah, that's a pretty great thing. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Shall I take number four? Please. Okay. We kind of talked about this earlier, but I like this level of fame. Like, this isn't too famous, right? I wonder how often he was really recognized on the street when he's not wearing, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters jumpsuit or whatever. But if he is recognized on the street, like, I would think that those fan interactions are mostly great. It's mostly going to be kids and families that like you. This is a level of fame and notoriety that I think could be enjoyed for the entire life, right? And I think. It seems easy to maintain the boundaries, yet still be happy with the stature you've reached. It's not Michael Jordan fame. Right. But it sounds pretty great. Sports fans can be fanatic on both sides. They love or hate you, right? With the Harlem Globetrotters, like, everybody's rooting for them for the most part. It's not like, you know, the Cowboys or the Yankees, where they just sort of invite a level of fervor and fanaticism that is both love and hate. You and I have often talked about how fame is more or less not desirable, but there's still something a little desirable about it. Maybe it's validation. Maybe it's well-meaning. This is a nice platform to arrive at and not go too much higher, but be high enough. It's also like you don't need to think of just Tom Cruise and Beyonce. There are all sorts of categories and tiers of fame. And if what somebody is seeking and what they need or desire is recognition and validation, there are tiers and gradients to achieve it. Yeah, And I think it's a very important thing to talk about. And who knows? I mean, who knows if it was actually burdensome for Curly Neal, but it doesn't look burdensome the way other forms of fame can. And I'll I'll say something about this level of fame, too. It's not just about the recognition, but the opportunities that are open to you. This man played in 97 countries in front of three popes and two presidents. And kings and queens. The Globetrotters were literally trotting the globe. Yeah, uh, exactly. And how many people's dream would it be just alone to go to 97 countries. How many people's dream would it be to go to 25 countries or 50 countries? Yeah, that's a good point. 97 countries that he got with this category of fame. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You got to kind of like like that. It'd be a nice ticket, you know? Absolutely. It'd be a nice way to do it. Absolutely. All right. uh, You want to take number five? Yeah, I'll take it. So there was a globetrotter in, let's call it around 2010, named Tay Fisher. Okay. So Curly Neal retired from playing in 85, but he was still loosely around the organization in official and unofficial positions. Yes. So Tay said that like in his first workouts and all with the Globetrotters, that Curly Neal saw that this kid was a good dribbler. And he took him aside and said, I'm going to teach you everything I know. So while the team and staff would take lunch breaks, 
Curly Neal would stay back and teach this kid like the art of his personal Curly Neal dribbling. Oh, wow. And this is 2010, 2011. The guy hadn't been even active on the court yeah, in 27 at that point. Something years. Yes. Yeah. So the thing I love, I guess I'm saying, is generosity with his time. Yeah. And this example with this kid. That's good. Yeah. You know, I really like that term generosity with his time. I have really made it a personal mission to never say, oh, I'm just so busy. I never want to say that to people. My parents used to say, you know, the most valuable thing you can give somebody is your time. Yeah. And he did it. Generosity with time. I love that. Okay, so let's recap then. Number one, we said infectious smile. We, which we both agreed on. It was yeah, our number one. infectious smile. Number two, learned how to be funny. Number three was... Proud second seat. Proud second seat. Number four, I had level of fame. And I think globetrotting ticket kind of goes along with that. And number five, generous with time. Yes. That's a good list. All right. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Shall we go on? Yes. Category three, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which a person can take a little portal into John Malkovich's head and they can have a front row seat to John Malkovich's experiences. The point is to imagine a memory or an experience that might have been interesting. What do you got here? I definitely tossed and turned. Did you? I did too. I really tossed and turned. I was trying to find something good and I got something, but you go. Yeah. The one I landed on was the story that Sweet Lou Dunbar told in a commemorative video about Curly Neal. So Sweet Lou Dunbar is one of those other, you know, five or six very beloved globetrotters. Yeah. Uh, And he said in his first season with the team, he was with Curly and they were playing uh, matches in Arizona in that in one of the first games, Curly Neal sunk three in a row from midcourt. Do you know how impossible that is? Three in a row is, it's almost like making a hole in one on two consecutive holes in golf. 
I think just the sensation of a triple miracle within a couple of minutes is something that I would like to be behind the eyes of. Do you think it feels divine? That's kind of the word I was looking for. Yeah. Like, maybe there is a God. Yeah. Um, if he had and a he doubt. wants me to drain these threes? <laughs> yes. Or he's putting it in there. You know, yeah. he's, he's changing the trajectory of the ball because the probability is so freaking low. This is not a fair comparison, but I played pool on acid once in high school and was making everything. I was making these impossible shots. Yes. And I definitely felt the touch of God in my pool stick that day. Yes. <laughs> there is something about hand-eye coordination when you are locked in that does feel like you can almost feel the molecules in the air that are leading to the small bits of friction that you have to account for, you know, as the ball leaves your hand or as, you know, you swing yeah. the racket or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't think Curly Needle needed acid to drain those threes, but I like that Malcolm. I don't think he was. I think he was a natural talent. I, I think, think he was right. a, like beyond natural talent. Yeah. I think he had the control of the ball like we said Diego Maradona did. Yeah. That yeah. it was just an, a, a tool that he had absolute mastery of. That's not a bad segue into my Malkovich moment because I actually want to talk about this one. Okay. All right. So he played 1963 to 1985, which we should just pause and say 22 years as a professional athlete. It's pretty incredible. So he retires in 1985. And in 1986 is the first slam dunk contest that I remember as a kid. This is the one with Dominique Wilkins and Dominique's teammate, Spud Webb, who's 5'7". Another 50 for Spud Webb. Let's see what happens. As the chant, the crowd chants Spud. Oh, how people love the underdog. 49-48, our new slam dunk champion with an incredible upset, Spud Webb. You picked Dominique. I didn't think this guy had a chance. Shows you how much we know. What a surprise. Boy, that was thrilling. That's an NBA thing, right? The slam dunk contest. This doesn't involve the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. So this is one year after Curly Neal retires. And the NBA has really grown in terms of prominence, in terms of popularity. So the mid-80s are, you know, that's the turning point for the NBA. And at this point, I think this is past the Harlem Globetrotters peak. Now, the reason this is a Malkovich moment for me is I'm imagining Curly Neal saw the slam dunk contest and saw 5'7 Spud Webb slamming it in and putting on a show and eventually winning that contest. That contest doesn't have anything to do with the competition in the sport. That is pure show. And I, I wonder if in his mind he's thinking that the merger of competition and sort of dazzling athleticism, you know, wizardry, has all now fully been brought into the NBA in, in a way that might lead for the Globetrotters to be less and less relevant as time goes on. And so do you suspect that's a moment of pride where he's seeing that what they've created being brought into the league or a moment of kind of sadness and remorse that he's seeing the beginning of the fading of the relevance of what the Globetrotters created? Yeah, I don't know. That's why it's my Malkovich moment is because I have curiosity on this. 
Like, I actually would like to know what's going on in his mind, assuming he's watching this, right? Because Spud Webb- He definitely is. He must have been, right? Spud Webb dunking the ball is more of a kind of Globetrotters thing than it is an NBA thing, in a way. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I just wonder. So that's my Malkovich moment. I think that's really good. And that's really good, just part of the arc of the whole Globetrotters. You know, the Globetrotters were not always this- Comedy this, act? Yeah, this comedy trick game. They were a serious basketball team. Yeah. And they, they beat were, the Lakers in, what is it, 48 and 49, the yeah, World correct. Championship Lakers. Exactly. They preceded the NBA, and they were the most professional basketball available. Also, the only place that that African Americans could play until the NBA was integrated. Exactly. I think that that's exactly where I was going, is that there's also a, a pretty good argument that the Globetrotters ushered in integration to the NBA, which doesn't really happen until 50-51. The first African American signed in the NBA was picked up from the Globetrotters. I believe the first two were. Yeah, and I mean, you know, what to make of the Globetrotters? What to make of this act overall? Like, there is this veneer of competition, much like there is in professional wrestling, but that's not what we're there for. The owner, I believe, in around the late 50s, early 60s, is when they decided to make it more of a comedy act. And that's because the NBA was integrated. And so the Globetrotters, as a competitive team, was just less interesting because you couldn't really have... Uh, different competitive national leagues. Yeah. Hey, you really did your homework on this one. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> well, I couldn't find the Curly Neal biography, and boy, I looked. I don't think there was one. I don't think there's even like a profile of him. In fact, that's not a bad segue into the next category. Okay. Category four, love and marriage. How many marriages? Also, how many kids? And is there anything public about these relationships? <sighs> well, here's what I found. Almost nothing. Like, there's a woman named Linda Ware. Wikipedia describes her as his fiance. Other places I saw them as married, or she was described as his wife. There's no information I could find anywhere on when they got married. Did you find anything? Yes, I found it. I had to do some like serious. Oh my God, like, I could not near, find this anywhere. This Where was did... near microfish digging. Okay, let me finish finding what is easily knowable anyway. Yes. Um, Two daughters. I had one source that uh, showed them as being adopted daughters, maybe, maybe not, and six grandkids. Even the New York Times obit said information on his survivors was not immediately available. So what the hell did you find? I found that he was married in 1975 to a woman named Rose, but I did look around and there was no public information on her. They didn't stay married? They no, it seems like a year or two. And I think maybe some of the children came from that. But it's really, really hard to find without having the direct source. I was surprised at how hard this was to learn more. Doesn't this go back to your number four of like this level of fame? Yes, it does. In that like he's only so famous. And he's also, his fame was decades, you know, the peak of his fame was decades before the internet. Yeah. I, but, I, I have nothing to say. But there was a marriage, it does seem, that was very short-lived. So we can at least talk about this. 22 years on a team where you play 6,000 games. Yeah. Okay, that is almost, we can do the exact math, but that's, if we're just going to round, it's around 300 games. A year. A year, right? So in the NBA, which sounds pretty arduous, right? In the NFL, how many games a year do they play? 17 in the regular season. Okay, so 17. The NBA, do you know that number? Is it 90? 
It's roughly 90. I think it was 88 at one point. Okay, so 90 games a year times 22 years. Show me your PhD, Michael. Jesus. <laughs> oh, give me a roughly. Come on. I was going to say 2,000. It's not quite. No, that's good enough. Yeah. That's a, good enough. Yeah. Okay, he played 6,000 games in that time. Yeah. Trotting the globe. I don't see how there's any room yeah. for a love life. I don't see how these guys had that opportunity. Uh, like you for talked a committed about, relationship. Yeah, you yeah. talked about it with, you know, with- um, Kenny Rogers. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I mean, look, this has come up a lot on- Famous and gravy. Is it possible to be a touring act? And and you know, actually, it was after the Kenny Rogers episode. I started thinking about how many famous people are on tour all the time, or, or if they're not on tour, traveling all the time. I mean, even you know, well-to-do actors, right? I mean, they they are on location and away from home a lot. It's one of many reasons that fame doesn't look that attractive to me. Traveling to 90 countries does sound fun. And if you're friendly with the guys on the team, then maybe you're having a good time. But there is no room for family life. Doesn't seem. Yeah, that's exactly my point. Yeah. I want to talk about the trade-off of this specific career versus committed love. Okay, so let's do a little bit of the math here. Throw the fucking PhD in my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like how under the breath that was. Yeah. How old was he when he retired? Um, born in 1942, retired in 85, so 43 or 44. Okay. When should one settle down? Uh, clearly not at 44. Is that too late? You are sitting across from a 44-year-old, quote, Goddamn uh, right. unquote, unsettled person. <laughs> Goddamn right. Uh, and do you think it's too late to settle down? I have no choice but to believe that it is not too late to settle down. All right. I agree with that. But what you're saying may be pretty maybe, good. Spend yeah. those 23 years of your life. If you're an athlete, I don't know that that's such a bad calculus, you know? I'm not saying, like, all the athletes should wait until retirement before they do something else. But it's it's such a bizarre life, you know, to have your profession peak totally correlated with your physical peak. Obviously, your brain and your intelligence factor in a little bit into it, but mostly it's about what the body can handle. Yes. So I don't know that it's such a problem to say, I'm going to be trotting the globe for the duration of this career. I don't know if it can be that calculated out. Yeah, because what you're saying is it's just not, you. there's a natural expiration date. Yeah, well, all I'm just saying is that there's a special consideration perhaps for athletes. Yeah. So, I don't know. I was asked this question the other day in an icebreaker for this group. You know, what would you do with money was no object? I really always struggle with this answer because the answer I want to give is live in perpetual motion. Go somewhere for a month, go somewhere for six months, go somewhere for a year, and just always live in motion and have my 15 cases that Jaja had that I would take with me. But the struggle is without like the constant return to people, to friendships. I don't think I would want that. And I'm not sure where the balance is. I think the whole trick of life is in some sense to have a rock you're standing on and be part of a river. Home, for want of a better term. I know we're on way off on a tangent here, but I actually want to bring up something totally different. Okay. And I'm scared to go into this territory, but I feel like it's important to do so. I'm thinking about what options were available to a black man in 1960. 
three as you're beginning your career. Like we're talking about some of these trade-offs, but I feel like the, you know, we're still in the civil rights movement when he becomes a Harlem Globetrotter. And should that be factored in to how we look at Curly Neal's life? Right. And and if you say 6,000 games over the course of 22 years, but it's also these 22 years. There's even stories in the Globetrotter lore about, you know, they'd play in North Florida and then they wouldn't get served. They'd go into a restaurant and it's whites only. They no, couldn't or get they couldn't room. stay in a hotel room, yeah. but like a performing cat. Right. Could. Globetrotter pioneers like Bernie Price remember facing racism every single day. The kids used to come up and follow us everywhere we went, rubbing our skin, see if it rub off, you know. And we didn't pay no attention. But when they said we couldn't eat and couldn't sleep, and then we had problems. Once when the team played in a Nebraska town that had no so-called colored hotel, the players had to sleep in the county jail. One year we were uh, playing in the Deep South, and, uh, you know, we went uh, downtown to the hotel to try to get rooms, and they turned us down. So we went uh, back across the track, found us a little dinky motel, and checked in and stayed there. But somewhere... Someone had taught a chimpanzee how to bowl. And that chimpanzee happened to be traveling all around the United States putting on bowling exhibitions. Now this chimpanzee had the biggest suite in the biggest hotel downtown and all the bananas he could eat. And that's when it really got home to me. Hold it, here we are human beings and here's a chimpanzee getting treated better than we are. Right, or whatever heartaches come with being on the road and being with the same nine team members and the same coach and so forth. And at least globetrotting away from this country, which was uh, far more unjust then than it is now even. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I it, So I, there's, there's like a, what can we learn, but it's also what could we have learned? Were we him recognizing that I, that I, I cannot know. Yeah. So we move on next category net worth. Did you see the same number I did? What'd you find? I found a disparate uh, range that oh, really? went from seven million to twenty million. Okay, I saw the twenty million number. Okay, and I thought, holy shit, that does seem high, doesn't it? But even does seven does too? Yeah, that's a lot of I was money. I going to say that's a lot of curly cues. Is that even? <laughs> is that even a euphemism <laughs> for money? Twenty million being a lot of curly cues. Curly cues. I why not just say twenty million? Let's go with twenty million. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's go with twenty million. What do you think? That's a lot of money. It's especially if you weigh it against this category of fame and you weigh it against economic opportunities that would be available for a black man born in 1942. Yeah. It is a lot of money. I felt great about it. I was happy for him about it. And I'm surprised by it. I'm surprised by it too. And I think a lot of it came from not being a player, but remaining on the Globetrotter staff and becoming more senior. Yeah. He was also an advisor to the Orlando Magic. Yes. Uh, and I'm that. sure that came with some money. I think there were, he was a paid speaker. You could hire him. I saw that as well. That's actually where I got some bio. And that can come with, you know, some pretty good money. Yeah. I'm sure he made pretty good money on the speaker circuit. And I, I wonder, I actually, this is the thing I really want to know is how much of that money uh, came from his post globetrotting life. My guess is is quite a bit of it. You never make enough, you know. Believe it or not, when I first started, I was only making $700 a month playing with the Globetrotters. We was playing uh, about 300 games a year. So you can see that's about $5,000, $6,000 a year. So 
about when you finished, 22 years later? 22 years later, my highest salary was $150,000, which is, you know, no money, really. And I think just as well as he, like, dribbled and kept that ball close to his body, he did it with the money, too. I don't think he was spending loosely. I think he was a wise man with his money. He got a lot of uh, accolades for being a humanitarian as well and being, like, very involved with a number of charitable organizations. So I, I have to believe that, like, I mean, he seems like a giving back kind of guy. But holy shit, $20 million. That really surprised me. I, I, I expected far less. I was expecting, like, one to five. Yeah. Well, good for him. $20 million. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be surprised. I am surprised. I don't say he deserved it. I agree with that. 6,000, I'm going to call them performances, alone, tells me he deserves it. All right, uh, next category. Category six, Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, or Hall of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons, as well as impersonations. I've got this pretty well lined up. I'll start with The Simpsons. I didn't see anything about him specifically, but there is an episode where Krusty the Clown bets against the Harlem Globetrotters. Do you remember this? Yes. I remember seeing it like an original airing. Let me get this straight. You took all the money you made franchising your name and bet it against the Harlem Globetrotters? Uh, I thought the generals were due. He's spinning the ball on his finger. Just take it. Take the ball. Yeah, love that. Okay. But I didn't find any mention of Curly Neal. Saturday Night Live. Amazingly, yes. Curly himself was on it. Not exactly. So this is a little bit of a deep pull. In 1998, there was a TV Funhouse episode with the Globetrotters. It was hearkening back to the Globetrotters cartoon from the 1970s. And they go back in time in the way back machine. They accidentally go too far back and go back to the birth of Jesus. So the Globetrotters (laughs) are there in this TV Funhouse episode uh, talking to – Joseph and Mary and uh, and are there when baby Jesus is born and they're playing basketball. And Curly is like, somebody says, hey, Curly. What do you mean we got no game today, Curly? It's Christmas, Meadowlark. Time to eat turkey. You're the turkey, Curly. <laughs> that's all I found. It's a deep pull. Uh, but so that's what I got on SNL. And then finally, Halls of Fame. He is in the Basketball Hall of Fame, as well as North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, and I'm sure others. And the Hollywood Walk of Fame. No. Yeah, not Curly himself, but the team, the Harlem Globetrotters, was given it in 1982. I don't know. I guess this gets back to the first line of the obituary. The team is obviously next level famous. People know about the Harlem Globetrotters, maybe without even having ever seen them perform. Carly is kind of mentioned casually, and that's about as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to wedge something in here. Please. I went to Harlem Globetrotters basketball camp when I was- No. uh, Yeah, when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, they had one in Dallas, and the Globetrotter that hosted it was Shorty Coleman. Wow. And it was just like a week long. I think me and my brother went, and we got like little Globetrotters t-shirts, and we learned to shoot free throws. That sounds outstanding. Yeah. I'm glad you got that in there. All right. Last of the easily knowable categories, category seven, over under. In this category, we look at the generalized life expectancy for the year they were born to see if they beat the house odds and as a measure of grace. Fred Neal was born in 1942. For men in the U.S., that uh, life expectancy was 64.7. He lived to 77. So he beat the odds by 13 years. Yeah, pretty good. 
And the grace. The grace was incredible. Incredible. I found interview clips from 2016. Yeah. He looked awesome. He looked great. Stayed in shape. Had the same big smile. There is something to be said. So he was 6'1", which is tall. But for a basketball player, that's not particularly tall. Some of those like really tall guys, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, as they age, it sort of looks kind of painful. Because your joints just can't Yeah, it's a lot to that. it's a lot to take all that weight and all that height, right? I think I've seen somewhere that basketball players do tend to die younger because I think for that reason, it's just a you know, larger bodies. So very graceful aging. Yeah. Let's ask this question. 77, a little young, but not that young. No, 77, I think, is our life expectancy. Yeah. Approximately. Yeah. It's sad, but it's not young. I, I think a number like 77 in not too long will feel, feel like a young anything age. less than 80. I think we're going to enter into that's going to feel a little more um, tragic yeah. than it does now. Yeah, and that's right. great. Yeah, that is good. All right. Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Michael, is frugality a desirable quality in life? Frugality? You mean like not draining the bank account every time I go and make a purchase? No, like I don't buy sneakers unless they're on sale. I see. Yes, is the answer to that. I like a good deal. Who doesn't? When I make a purchase, I want it to be at a reasonable cost. And whether it's on sale for sneakers or whether it's at a place like Half Price Books. There is a place that you can get books at there sneaker discounts? <laughs> There sure is, Ahmed. It's called Half Price Books. In fact, one of the things I love about going to Half Price Books is that every time I go to the store and I get a nice stack of books and I carry it to the counter, I'm always thinking, like, is that number on the register going to be really high? And it's always less than expected. It's a really exciting thing to go in there and feel like, I got all these books at this great deal. And you know what? Half Price Books is celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. There are over 120 stores, and you can find out more at hpb.com. Thus far in our show, we have gathered some of the more easily knowable information. At this point, we move into the more introspective questions. Try and get at the inner life. The first of the inner life categories is man in the mirror. What did this person think about their own reflection? Ahmed. Loved it. Yeah. I sensed a lot of finesse mm. with him. The way that he did like his comedic strut. Yeah. It was somebody that was so comfortable with his body. Yeah. Uh, if you watch clips of that. And then also the bald head. That's right? what I was going to talk. He started shaving his head at 12. Yeah. Age 12. That is so young. I don't think he talked about it directly, but some of his other teammates and all were like, this whole like Michael Jordan shaving his head and Charles Barkley, like- Curly did that way, 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 way before. Yeah. That there was none of that graceful, tough, bald head look without Curly Neal. Curly Neal, icon, legend. Those are two words that describe him. One of the best globetrotter dribblers of all time and one of my personal favorites. But my greatest tribute is to my favorite globetrotter with this slick hairdo. We love you, Curly. All right, next category. Outgoing message. Like Man in the Mirror, how did this person feel about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on an answering machine or outgoing voicemail? Would they have recorded it or would they have gone with the default setting? I'm just judging on a few interview clips. Spoke confidently, spoke fluently, 
liked talking, so I'm going to yes. I had the exact same answer, and I think it goes along with the smile. Like yep. his his voice seemed good. I don't think he gave it a second thought. Yeah, he's a good interviewer. Yeah, if he didn't love life, he was doing a really good job at pretending. Yeah, because he he just seemed to enjoy talking. He seemed to enjoy smiling. It seemed real. All right, next category: regrets, public or private. What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night. I had nothing on the public front. On the private front, I did wonder if he kind of wished he'd been in the NBA. Exactly what I had, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what to make of that speculation because, sure, maybe he wanted to be in the NBA, but he was a Harlem Globetrotter at a good time to be a Harlem Globetrotter. If you're thinking, did he want to be in the NBA where presumably it's more about athletic excellence and less about entertainment and an act and comedy. Exactly. Of the the proving yourself and the feeling of triumph and of winning. Yeah. I mean, the generals won every now and then. <laughs> yes. You got to wonder about that because that's, you know, he was uh, an outstanding college basketball player yeah. where he did win legitimate games, even if it was a terrible racial environment and he wouldn't have made as much money in that the NBA was not even that important of a league. I do think that during this time period, the 60s and 70s, the Harlem Globetrotters, I think there's a case to be made, were doing more to educate the world on this sport, like literally traveling to 90 countries. I don't think most people in in Europe or in Africa or in South America had seen basketball before. Yes. Dirk Nowitzki said that the first live basketball game that he ever saw was the Globetrotters in Germany. So you're sharing a passion for the sport. I would also say, though, on that note, that when I look at the athletes who are, like, excellent, like maybe best ever, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, they don't look like they're having that much fun. It doesn't look that great. I mean, I think that they have to have a FU attitude to achieve that next-level excellence. At the end of the day, when you really drill down into what makes somebody really competitive, it does seem like the core emotion is anger. Yeah. All sports competitions are metaphors for battle. Yes. Yeah. That's the other point I wanted to make, too, is he might not have been that good in the NBA. And they say that's the thing about the Globetrotters is they are people that typically excel at certain skills of basketball, like in Curly Neal's case, uh, dribbling, ball handling, and long-distance shooting. Those aren't necessarily the same things that make you good at uh, the NBA competition. Right. I have one other private regret. I don't think this is true in his case, but the idea of the Globetrotters as being exploited, the exploitation of black athletes, I think that that was true in a period of their history. Right. They were paid less. They were treated like dog shit. And they were sort of put on stage for white audiences. And I I read articles where there was a kind of backlash against who they were and what they represented. Curly Neal himself wrote a op ed in USA Today. Did you read that? 2016 or so. Basically making the case that we are better off for the Globetrotters and this enterprise has always pushed the envelope in the direction of social justice. And that felt authentic. But I did wonder, you know, if there was a, am I being taken advantage of kind of thought in his head? 
whether there's racial dynamics at play or not. You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. I mean, I th- I think it's got to cross their mind. Yeah. If you had to place a bet if the Globetrotters were still around in 25 years in its current form, what do you think? Well, you know what I saw is they actually um, applied to be part of the NBA. Recently? Yeah, in 2021. They sent a letter saying, we'd like to be part of an expansion team. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if that's gone anywhere. I do know the NBA is flirting with expansion and would kind of like to see the Harlem Globetrotters be part of the NBA. All right. Next category, good dreams, bad dreams. This is not about personal perception, but rather, does this person have a haunted look in the eye? Something that suggests inner turmoil, inner demons, unresolved trauma. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. Like I said, I believe the positivity. I believe the smiles. I believe the exuberance. I believe the loving of life. Yeah. And this guy just, I I think, was just gifted with optimism. I agree. I don't see it. But I looked real close. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, because I don't like to give this one away. No, me neither. And I do, you know, I, I don't mean to be flip when I say, you know, to be born black in America in the South in the 1940s. America's fucking racist, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, don't, I think that, does, does that come with trauma hardwired in? I don't know. I don't know. I can't know. But, I think so. I mean, I'm, I would make the argument that being born Asian in America in the 70s. Being born anything other than white. Yeah. That, in America. That, I think there's there's some built-in trauma. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm very willing to hear that yes. <laughs> and, to, and to consider that. But I don't see it in the eye. I don't see it as defining who he is or what he's about. All right, second to last category, cocktail, coffee, or cannabis. This is where we ask, which would we most want to do with our dead celebrity? This may be a question of what kind of drug sounds like the most fun, or it may be that a particular kind of drug allows access to a part of them that we're still most curious about. What'd you have? Coffee. Me too. Why did you have coffee? I think it goes to what I just said. I sense a resilience. I sense an ability to be optimistic. I think he may have some secrets of how he looks at things or how he lets things go. And I think there could be a lot of wisdom there that I don't want to be obscured by a substance. That's so interesting. I had coffee for a different reason, but kind of the same starting point. I actually want a sober conversation with him about, is it really as good as it looks? You know, is it really as good as it looks? Because it looks good. Yeah. I think we've arrived. I think we're at the Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Ahmet, do you want Curly Neal's life? We got to talk it out. Are you on the fence? Yeah, I'm on the fence. Why? Why is this not an obvious yes? Repetition of the career of 23 years of kind of playing the same game in the same performance. Even in 90 countries, even in front of kings and queens and ambassadors and popes. Yes. I mean, I did, with the Wienermobile, I toured for 16 months. Yeah. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Nothing. I just didn't think you were going <laughs> to. Uh, but I essentially, you know, had to play the same, the same act every day. Yeah. And it was exhausting. And even in that period, like... They were nice in my hotel. I was like, I don't even remember who I am. So the monotony is a turnoff for you when it comes to Curly Neal's life. For 22 years of that, yeah. 
that's something I'm concerned about. But what I'll say about Curly Neal, the point of this show is we have the complete story wrapped up. Yeah. And if here I stand at 44, which is nearly the exact age that Curly Neal started his second act after being on the court, the man made a mark. Like he made a pretty big mark on the game of basketball. There is a lot of testimony that he was one of the best of all time. So that's pretty incredible. I mean, Dirk Nowitzki said that the first live basketball game he ever saw was the Harlem Globetrotters in Germany, and Curly Neal was on that team. But the man also had a belief that he was a unifier. You know, that's what he said in this op-ed, is that every day in every game, his job was to bring joy. And he knew that. And I think he saw himself as that, as a bringer of joy. I think he made a pretty big impact on young black children early on in his career, on well-to-do German future NBA all-stars. And I think he entertained and brought joy to a lot of the people in between. And I just believe him. I believe that he loved life. And so I think I'm a yes. I want your life, Curly Neal. I think that's where I'm at, too. I think that's where I was at heading into this. I also wish there was a little bit more information about the love life or the family life in general. Yeah, we didn't have a lot on just kind of the signs of inner peace. Right. Other than what we're triangulating from the other stuff. Right. I also think more than anything else, having positive energy, contributing to like the stream of life, putting good vibes out there, like I think that's up there on my top five list of most desirable character traits. You know, that's who I want to be. And that's who I admire. And I do think that, you know, to bring joy to children, the way the Harlem Globetrotters bring joy to children, it's just fucking great. It's fucking great. That alone is almost reason enough for me to yes on the Vanderbeek. So I'm a yes. Okay. All right, then. (sighs) Michael, you are Fred Curley Neal. Uh, standing before you is St. Peter, the Unitarian proxy for all afterlives. Uh, you have the opportunity to make your case. Have at it. <laughs> I just had this image of uh, him sort of whizzing the ball between St. Peter's legs, you know, bouncing it and like around his head. And then you sneak in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. At a young age, I found my thing, and it was basketball. And I fell in love with it. And that sport brought a smile to my face. And what I discovered as I grew into a young man was that people wanted to see me play, but they also wanted to see me smile. And that the more I smiled and the more joy I brought to the sport, the more joy I brought to crowds, the more everybody else was smiling. And I think through that energy, through that positivity, I think I helped break down barriers. I introduced sport and entertainment to an audience that had not seen it before and discovered that our inner humanity is actually much simpler or much more pure than we maybe give it credit for. Maybe I was supposed to do something else on planet Earth, but I don't think so. I think I found my thing and I think I 
rode that wave, and I think I did as much good as I possibly could with the hand I was dealt. And for that, please let me in. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, we have a favor to ask. We hear from a lot of people that this show cheers them up. It puts them in a good mood. So think of somebody in your life, just one person who you'd like to cheer up and share an episode of our show with them. Be like, hey man, here's an episode of Famous and Gravy. Share it with anybody who you think could stand to be put in a good mood. We are on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Famous and Gravy. We also have a newsletter, which you can sign up for on our website, FamousAndGravy.com. Famous and Gravy was created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. This episode was produced by Jacob Weiss. Original theme music by Kevin Strang. And thanks so much to our sponsor, Half Price Books. Thank you again for listening. Please share this episode, and we hope to see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.